you want to talk about Weege? Maybe instead I'll just shut the fuck up. Yeah, I do. Good um, morning. Good morning. No, that was terrible. That was terrible. I that was a terrible it. intro. I didn't. <laughs> okay, well then why don't you play us in? Wait, did you hear her? In your opinion, uh-huh. does the word Ouija, which I've always pronounced it Ouija, that's not correct. <laughs> that is not correct. <laughs> um, the word Ouija, does it come from A, the Egyptian word for good luck, mm-hmm. B, the French and German words for yes, or C, the first five letters that were spelled out on the original Ouija talking board? Well, I know it's not B, because that's the common myth about it that's not true. I think it's A. The answer is nobody knows. Mm. They all have been said at various times. The official position of the Parker Brothers slash Hasbro, who owns them currently, is that it's C. But the people who, like, developed the patent and, like, whatever it's called, furthered it um, and stuff and propagated it have said both A and B. And I I think you're right that B is not true. I don't believe a word Hasbro says. That's the thing. I don't believe a word Hasbro says. They're not going to tell me the truth about demonic entities and spiritual forces with which I communicate. No. And they're definitely not going to tell me the history of their product. No, that's the last thing they're going to tell you is the honest to God truth about what they're selling you. (laughs) Which is why we are here today. As part of the Better Business Bureau, we've been underwritten by them, and we're going to give you the real consumer report about Ouija boards. Let's take it from the top, Hi, girls. this is the Better Business Bitches. <laughs> Let's take it from the top. What is a Ouija board? So obviously the image is very common in popular culture, the actual visual of the Ouija. You may have seen it. It's got the alphabet. It's got yes and no. And it's got, I think, end right at the bottom. Uh, it's... The alphabet, numbers zero through nine, the sun and the moon, yes, no, goodbye. Goodbye, not end, yes. And that's all printed on a board. Um, Originally, it would have been wood, and then now they do a lot of them on cardboard, and there are some plastic ones. And then you have what is called a planchette, which is a little triangular-shaped indicator. I guess you could call it, piece that's not attached to the board and has a lot of them have little feeties and then a little circle on it so you can see what it's pointing to. And Mm -hmm. the way that the Ouija board works is everybody, everybody being you and whoever you want to contact spirits with, but it needs multiple people to work, sit around the board, ask questions, and you each put your fingers in the planchette and then it moves of its own accord to different places in the board and tells you what it needs to tell you. Is that a good summary? Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. Uh, Ouija boards came to popularity kind of in the same era that we've talked about before, this era of American spiritualism. There were historical uses of spirit boards and talking boards, which is like the non-brand name version of it, as far back as like zero. Like definitely historically, um, this method of communicating with spirits, which I believe is called... Oh, my brain is empty. Automatic writing? thinking of totally fine uh yeah i guess it is automatic 
recording. I just looked it up. So cut out the part where I sound like a rocket that's launching. Just kidding. I'm editing. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Automatic writing, which is like sort of this idea of um, providing a medium in which the spirit can communicate. So you can also yell out every single letter of the alphabet and wait for a rapping on the wall. Um, but that's generally hoax. Sure. Hoaxes. Or I mean, in Stranger Things, when she puts all the letters and then the Christmas lights and he lights up the Christmas lights to yes. do spelling, like all of these. Totally. Since we're on our arc about communication with ghosts and the dead and ways of recording, like methods of mm -hmm. proof, right? We've done visuals and audio. Like we've talked about different mm -hmm. ways to hear ghosts. Now this is if you are just trying to communicate with them through writing verbally alone the written word ouija boards are your go-to for the past like 200 years that's what it would be right is that that fair so no no that's right what makes ouija boards uh sort of distinct from other methods of proof is that it's not a method of recording the effects or symptoms of a spirit encounter as proof um, instead, it's a method of contacting the spirit as proof that the spirit exists, which sort of come at um, the idea of proof from different directions. More so than in the audio one, we can really start to talk about magic mm -hmm. and intent. Agreed. It's the top of the ep. It's time for Gus's history moment. I got you, baby girl. Okay, so picture this. You're in Baltimore, Maryland. It's July 24th, 1870. You're a Jewish German immigrant. You're a Jewish German immigrant. You have a beautiful, your name is Jacob Fold. You have a beautiful wife named Mary Abel, and you're giving birth to your third child. You name him William. Little do you know in this moment, he will go on to create, invent, patent, and make commercially successful one of the most terrifying objects in modern paranormal history if you're a baby. Nobody else thinks it's that scary. Why am I the dad? <laughs> what? Why am I the dad? <laughs> Why are you the dad? I'm just Why popping Why was I in. Jacob? <laughs> okay, well, if you want to take it from a different angle, imagine it's July 24th, 1970. You're a baby and you're being born. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Go on, go on, go on. Go, a better go, go. Perspective? I'm just being stupid. No, I'm being stupid. <laughs> <laughs> that was just, I'm just trying to put you in media res. Uh, what I'm trying to okay. say is that a guy named William Fold um, invented the Ouija board. He was a German Jew, but he actually, in a bizarre twist of fate, left the faith, joined a Presbyterian church. <laughs> married a lady named mary and uh his mom's name was also mary yeah there were a lot of women named mary okay. at this time yeah that's true um i think he married a woman named mary i could have copied and pasted that wrong uh that's really okay and him and his brother created a company that sold spirit boards this is a fabulously interesting little tidbit about their original ouija board so this wasn't um, Fold didn't just create Ouija boards. He made a couple of other different boards that were important parts of his company. Um, they were like talking boards or spirit boards, but he wanted to patent the Ouija board. So this, this story comes to us from descendants of the Ouija founders and the original Ouija patent file. So 
These are family legends. Who knows the truth value of them, but it's a fabulous story. William Fold and his children made the Ouija board. They made something called the Oracle Board. Elijah J. Bond, who was like a related to his business, filed the first patent on the Ouija board, also created something called the Nirvana board. There were all these different boards at the time. The fact that the Ouija took off has to do with, you know, business and interests, but spirit boards are big at this time. But William uh, William Folden family, Elijah J. Bond and family, Elijah goes to the patent office, right? And he knows that when he brings this patent to the patent office, they're not going to accept it based on what it says in there because it sounds crazy because they can't necessarily prove the board works. So Bond brings the board to the patent office in Washington where he filed the application and the chief patent officer is like, I need this demonstrated for me. And he's like, I want it to spell out my name, like my full name, middle name, which is unknown to Bond. And he's like, if you can do that, then I'll allow the patent to proceed. So they sit down, they commune with the spirits, they put their hands in the planchette, and it spells out his full name. Was this a mystical experience? Or did Bond, who was by trade a patent attorney, know the guy's name? <laughs> Go on, sorry. There's no way for us to know. <laughs> or but... did a patent attorney and also the guy whose name it was know his name? But on February 10th, 1891, the patent officer did give him a patent for the Ouija board, which was considered a toy or a game. That was the category of the patent. So anyway. Changing American history forever. <laughs> for real. No, totally. Um, But the Ouija, the Ouija board in like more broad historical moment comes out of the 19th century spiritualism movement, as we've discussed, spiritualism contained within it, the belief that spirits were able to communicate with people and that mediums were able to communicate with, you know, spirits and the dead. Um, it was in Europe for a long time, then it hit America hard. Uh, it was kind of compatible with Christian dogma. So you could be a Christian and you could be a spiritualist. It was exciting. It was was it compatible with Christian Sigma? It was compatible with Christian Ligma, as far as I know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> so keep in mind the first patent for the Ouija board has no explanation of what we now consider to be one of the more interesting elements of it, which is how the device works. There's not mm -hmm. within the patent there contains nothing of like proof. That's not mm -hmm. a concern at the time. The patent's just like, yeah, you can talk to the dead with it. Yeah, it will happen, right? There's no mechanical, yeah. Which operation. the sources that I read chalk that up to being a marketing effort because, as I said, one of the people who was filing this patent who worked with these business people was a patent attorney himself. So this was like, these mm -hmm. were business decisions all the way down. At no point was this like, it's not like Monopoly where it was like invented by a communist as a teaching tool. Like this was always meant to to go big or go home in terms of selling it, which totally worked. I know that the earliest copyrighted Ouija board that I was able to find online was 1919. I don't know if that means that that's the earliest, but it existed by then, and those are considered some of the most valuable vintage. Yes, I collect vintage Ouija boards. If you have one, mail it to me. I will give you my post office address here at Barnard College. Yeah, so I think it was invented by what I'm understanding it was it was invented by the people who like the patent was filed by these people, but it was Fold who ended up making it 
a success. Like he got into the ground floor mm-hmm. of the company and he took it to being like this, yeah. the massive thing that it was. So the Kennard Novelty Company, which is what originally manufactured the Ouija in the 19 or in the 1890s, it went from like one factory in Baltimore, two factories in Baltimore. The next year we're doing two in New York. The next year we're doing two in Chicago. We got one in London. Then Kennard mm-hmm. and Bond, the guys from that patent office story, they were out. They're like, you know, the company got too big. Then William Fold, the guy who you gave birth to or who your wife gave birth to at the beginning of this introduction, um, he had gotten in on the ground yeah, floor. The guy the- I gave birth to at the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> Listeners, you'll remember that this is a in between really good Lana episode. Del Rey tracks. This is a really good episode. <laughs> um, I want money. Go on. Okay, so Fold uh, has been misattributed as the inventor of the board many times. His Actually, his obit in the New York Times said he was the inventor, but he's not. He's just the guy who made it a huge deal. Um, he had a really interesting story. He died in 1927 after a freak fall from the roof of his factory. And you know why that factory was built? Because a Ouija board told him to. Literally, a Ouija board cyberbullied him <laughs> to death. The whole company gets sold to Fold, William Fold. Then it just launches like a hundred years of extreme popularity for the Ouija board. Like it was huge in the huge in the late tens, huge in the twenties, mm-hmm. into the depression. I think it had a little bit of a dip, but then back into the fifties, we've got renewed interest in it. Um, mm-hmm. And alongside this, I think um, it's relevant to the history of its success is that it's wildly successful during periods of um, hugely mortal tragedies in the United States. So the Civil War um, really kicked off spirit boards being like that bitch because there were so many people who were not just dead, but completely missing. So it was unknown where their bodies were. It was unknown where they fought. It was unknown if they were dead or missing. Um, And that kind of was echoed in World War II. I mean, there's times in World War II that are very heavily recorded. Um, But there's a lot of... There's a lot of men who went off to fight and just never came back. And it's hard to say whether their um, boat sunk, whether they were you know, whatever, whichever campaign they were involved in and where exactly they died um, because it was such like a rush to Berlin. Um, And so, again, the board becomes really popular to contact these like dead sons and relatives and husbands um, because they're more than dead. They're unknown and mysterious. And that's really when the Ouija board we I said it again. That's really when the Ouija board surges is like because like you mentioned the depression, like lots of people died during the depression. Um, but it wasn't as much of a where is my son? And where is my son really kept the Ouija board in business for 150 years? I completely agree. And I think an interesting uh I don't know if you'd call it like a dovetailing factor with that is that um compounding compounding yeah i think that's probably more accurate an interesting compounding factor with that is that so you have this technology i mean technology this technology that allows you to communicate with spirits and with the undead and what's interesting about that to me is not just that people would want that but that this is the first technology we've really covered that takes that into 
the hands of consumers. So this is the first moment when this Mm. moves into being a purely consumer accessible good, because though now we think of the Ouija board as being something that religious people object to, initially the people who objected to it were mediums. Like the people who hated the spirit boards were people whose professional job was communicating with the dead. And they were like, this is putting it in the hands of people who one, don't know what they're doing and two, are going to ruin our entire business model. Automation is putting good Americans out of work. Literally. That's a really good point. I mean, I think it's really interesting. Here, I'm going to read you. Um, this is a an advertisement from 1957 um, for the Ouija board from Dan Zegers and Company, which was, uh, I think, a department store that sold them. Always the first to introduce any new novelty, this time Ouija or the wonderful talking board. The Ouija is, without a doubt, the most interesting, remarkable, and mysterious production of the 19th century. Its operations are always interesting and frequently invaluable, answering as it does questions concerning the past, present, and future with marvelous accuracy. It furnishes never-failing amusement and recreation for all classes, while the scientific or thoughtful its mysterious movements invite the most careful research and investigation, apparently forming the link which unites the known with the unknown and the material with the immaterial. It forces upon us the conviction that a great truth is contained in the statement of the Danish prince. There are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than there ever were dreamed of by thy philosophy. Price, $1.97. Price really said, for all classes. Also, here's a quote from Hamlet. (laughs) Just to bring it home as very relatable. Here's a quote from Hamlet. Yeah, I thought it was a great ad. Like... It's a really good ad. I'm literally like going online to buy it. <laughs> my mom is angry at me because I spent my stimulus check on vintage Ouija <laughs> She's like, honey, why don't you send some of your Biden money to your savings account? Because I have a savings account that she can see because I opened it when I was like 10. Um, and it still has her name on it. And she can see that I haven't put any money on there in there in like 90 years. Um, and I was like, no, I spent it on Ouija boards. And now every single day she messages me two or three times being like, honey, why don't you send some of your stimulus money to that savings account? You don't understand, like, mom. They're appreciating assets. And they are literally so. <laughs> it's like one of the worst things you can do. <laughs> it's like buying a car and driving it off a lot. It's like, yeah, but also it could kill you. <laughs> like a car. Like, well, okay, true. Buying like a car that's like the maximum. Um, Yeah, true cars. Yeah, I guess I'm more likely to die in a car accident than in a Ouija accident. I mean, the average American is. You are not. <laughs> <laughs> the average American who doesn't have three Ouija boards hanging And never all. intends to learn um, to drive. Never. Yeah, facts, 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 facts. I don't like driving. Um, it's, it freaks me out communicating with demons now that i could do <laughs> driving it's a bit much no. it's a bit much in it well gus isn't here i'm gonna record some asmr <laughs> love you guys so where were we we were about to discuss the cultural implications of Ouija boards. Okay, let's think about that. So the Ouija board, in terms of actual communication with ghosts, not in terms of history, 
is supposed to be a vehicle by which ghosts can move your body and make your body display the words that they think. Which, when considered from a theological perspective, is easily understood to be a form of possession. This is embarrassing because that is not how I thought it worked. How do you think it works? Well, okay, Are but we like sure I said, it... the patent yeah, okay, doesn't true. explain how it works. Right. The literal patent on the Ouija board does not explain what is supposedly happening, and none of the marketing does because they don't want to invite any controversy. So this is what some people say it is. That's not what everybody says it is. That's what like some sources I read. Obviously, scientists okay. and like debunkers and skeptics believe that it's idiomotor effect, the idiomotor effect, which is you have unconscious involuntary physical movements like um, like jerking awake in your sleep or like having like a really bad eye twitch. Um, that's your... At me next time. <laughs> that's your brain like moving your body <laughs> unconsciously. And mm -hmm. scientists think that that is very closely tied to unconscious awareness and that if you think you have no control over your body, the idiomotor effect combined with your belief that something is going to happen combines to make that happen so that basically your unconscious mind is moving your hand. That's what scientists mm. say it is. Right. Obviously, I have my own Idiots. thoughts about that. That seems <laughs> equally spiritual to me, but whatever. Um, what was your understanding of what's happening on the spiritual level? I thought the planchette was moving, but that it was drawing energy from the physical contact that you were making with it, that it draws energy. And that's where like – and also that's like the magical practice. That's the – like the effort of your intention is by having your hands on it and that's your connection to the magic of it mm. but the spirit is moving the wooden thing and you're just holding on mm, that makes sense to me okay do you want to speak on that and the unmagic and intention yes i do um so i actually have a ba in math no i'm just kidding uh <laughs> i mean you <laughs> so do kind of. i'm the i'm the worst person on the planet um no the worst person on the planet is Brian Cox. Well, I was the next thing I was going to say is I'm the only person on the planet. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that it's worth talking about the fact that there are, even within the spiritual realms, a couple explanations for what's happening in the Ouija board. As you mentioned, there's the idea that the spirits are moving your arms or moving your body physically, um, which does come right up against um, possession, um, which I think that sort of idea that that's how it's working contributes a lot to like how the uh the sort of like social standing of the Ouija board mm -hmm. has fallen um and then there's the idea that you by placing your hands on the planchette are taking part in and and affecting your intention of the magic ritual um you're affecting um EFFF E-F-F-E-C-T, -F -F -E -F -F -E affecting the intention of um, magic. Uh, and that is the thing that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode that I really want to talk about being different from just trying to record the presence or the symptoms of a spirit. This is actually a ritual. And while I think there's highly ritualized elements of ghost hunting and the Ghost Adventures show, um, and we could talk about that, so many episodes about that. Um, however, it's not professing to be magic. And I think when you, 
I think one of the key elements of magic is that it professes to be magic. Mm-hmm. So if your intention is not magical, I don't think that it's a magical ritual. I think it's a ritual of its own sort. However, the Ouija board, its intention is magical and it's a magical – and thus – among other reasons, it's a magical ritual. So the idea is sort of that the spirit is moving the planchette. And while the spirit could move the planchette, theoretically, just as it could move any other object, it won't do so until you have completed your sort of obligation in the ritual, which is to demonstrate your interest and willingness to participate. And the way that you do that is to put your hands on the planchette among other things, which kind of brings us to talk to some of the more famous people who have used Ouija boards over the years. And I guess we should get into sort of the different like perspectives and the social standing there. Yeah, I'm down. Um, I also want to, I want to jump back into it. I want to, let's get a definition of magic going because you have some really, I've heard you say really fascinating things about what magic is and how magic works in rituals. But in terms of hit, we'll, we'll, we'll tag in. In terms of history of the Ouija board, right? So first, spiritualism, it's a fun thing that people are using as a consumer product to communicate with ghosts and the undead. But this is, uh, I've received conflicting reports about this. I think Catholic, Catholics were always super dicey about Ouija boards and communicating with spirits. So I don't want to like overwrite that. Catholics were always dicey about it. But I think that other Christians in America, only speaking to that, I'm not sure about outside of that. Um, I know it was also in London, but from what I could find, other Christian groups in America were, for the most part, maybe not on a church-sanctioned level, but on the individual level, this was compatible with their understanding of the world, and it was like a fun, interesting thing, right? Well mm-hmm. into the 50s, I know the Catholic Church was really starting to crack down in the 50s, but... Mm-hmm. The Ouija board actually experienced somewhat of a dip in popularity in the 50s and 60s, from what I understand, in terms of like numbers that was sold um, compared to population. Obviously, more people, more boards. Um, mm-hmm. And then in the 70s, The Exorcist came out. So before this happened, there were uh, stories of terrible things happening because of Ouija boards. So, like, mm-hmm. in 1941, there was a gas station attendant in New Jersey who told the New York Times that he joined the army because the Ouija board told him to. That's, like, in the Times. That's not a terrible mm-hmm. thing. It's just we have in the paper of record that people are doing things because of the Ouija board. In 58, mm-hmm. there was a court in Connecticut that decided not to honor something called the Ouija board will of someone. Her name was Mrs. Helen Dowpeck. She had two servants. She let, When she died, she left $1,000 to each of them. But she left $152,000 to a guy named Mr. John Gale Forbes, who was a spirit who contacted her via the Ouija board. (laughs) Yes. So, you know, there was another case that involved a Ouija board, right? There was a case where um, the jurors used the Ouija board to contact the victim Mm -hmm. and and the victim said that the guy on trial for it did it. And so they were like guilty and then mm-hmm. when the court found that out they were like mm, mistrial <laughs> like mm, right mama mama mistrial like <laughs> so 
Um, yeah, exactly. And actually, I think in the 50s it might have experienced a dip, but in the 60s it was pretty popular. It, it outsold Monopoly in 67. Um, but anyway, my point That's just funny. being, in the, the cases that we're talking about here, as you can see from those examples, are not what we associate with Ouija boards today. They're like people saying they did things because the Ouija board told them to, but those things are not malevolent or dangerous. Like leaving someone money in your will. I mean, that's, right. you know, a normal thing people do all the time. It's just like doing it in a crazy right, way. Right. But then right. in 73, <laughs> the exorcist comes out. If you haven't seen the exorcist, a Ouija board is the entry point for demonic possession for a 12 year old. So the demon Jeez. is able to possess her because she plays the Ouija board by herself. This is considered, by all the accounts that I could read, and I think it makes complete sense, the major change point for how people see Ouija boards and how they interact with them. Now we have mm-hmm. a movement from Ouija boards being a thing where a spirit communicates and you're lending your energy to a possible avenue mm-hmm. for demonic possession, an invitation of ghosts. The Catechism of the Catholic Church that came out in 1992, that's John Paul II. I had to look that up. Pretty sure that's the middle school that Hannah went to is named after. I think she went to Pope John Paul II. Um, but anyway, the Catechism of the Catholic Church Oh, God. How do you explain that? It's like a post-Bible book about how to be Catholic. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not the Bible, but it's like how to be correctly Catholic. But also it came out in 1992. <laughs> so it's like how to be Catholic in the 21st century going forward. And that was the first time that, like, a religious writing really took on um, – really bothered to like go out of its way to say that the Ouija board was a problem. Mm-hmm. Obviously, um, previous religious writings caution against um, certain behaviors as being like societally base or like in some way luciferous. But um, in terms of like naming a specific board game that was popular in the culture and then being like, this is wrong and we have to get rid of it. It was kind of the beginning. Um, I mean, there's lots of music that came out in the like 70s, 80s, 90s that was, oh fuck, I'm expressing this all wrong. What I want to say is that the catechism of the Catholic church solidified the idea that the church can pick and choose specific things from pop culture and damn them. Yes. So it was popular to, like, burn, like, satanic rock music and, like, other things like that. And those things were motivated on a group level. Like, your church group would do that. But in terms of official writings disseminated from the tippity-top top of a church, this really, like, solidified, like, yes, you can go and you can burn the works of um black sabbath you can burn the works of uh you can burn the ouija board you can burn harry potter which hadn't come out yet in 1992 but um later became one that was very popular to burn as symbol of witchcraft i mean it's interesting to consider what that says about what spirit communication is to different groups and i think what Mm -hmm. magic what the relationship between magic and communication is 
and the right. amount of interest and energy and power you give the written word in a sense mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. communication. I mean, not that Catholics are like scared of, you know, the letter A. It's more just like in a religion based on scripture, the idea that writing right. could could seem to be from someone, the user of the Ouija board, when actually from someone else, the devil is very intimidating. Incredible. And they're not stupid for that. I don't mean to belittle that decision making, but like just factually, that's no, intimidating. I, it's totally intimidating. And the exorcist, the film, mm-hmm. is based on a real exorcism that the Roman Catholic Church performed on a guy named Roland Doe, who was supposedly mm-hmm. the victim of demonic possession, and he was mm-hmm. supposedly possessed by a Ouija board. So like mm-hmm. It's not like the Catholic Church saw, like, people in the Catholic Church saw the movie The Exorcist and then got scared of Ouija board. This is a long-standing beef that Catholics have. Right, right. Long-standing beef, yes. That's a good way to put it. Thank you. That clarifies it. And I think that that's valid in the sense of, like, if if your belief system is contingent on the idea that communication with otherworldly forces has the potential to invite in things that you do not expect or understand then of course that leaves you open to demons and demonic Harm. possession, right? Mm-hmm. Like that leaves you open to danger. Mm-hmm. And I think in this case, the intention of God is what protects you from that. Like God and the divine is what protects you from demons. It's not just your own intention that can protect you. Whereas I think in like, I'm not going to say a more secular, but maybe a less exorcism influenced perspective on spirit boards, you are able to, or like, I mean, this is what I'm getting from reading. I've done a few Ouija board uh, experiments, but they were, <laughs> they were never successful. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that if you are coming to it, say, as, let me put it like this. After The Exorcist came out, people used the Ouija boards partially in hopes that they would reach something they didn't intend to. It took on a yes. double-edged meaning. So now you have yes. children's games in which you are toying with forces outside of your control. You have urban legends about kids getting possessed, kids getting killed, mm-hmm. kids reaching out to forces they don't understand. Whereas like mm-hmm. pre that, I think there was a level of sincerity to the belief that right. you were communicating with. Right. Ghosts. I mean, Bill Wilson, who founded AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, was yes, really into Ouija boards. <laughs> he conducted seances yes. and contacted the dead with them, and like it influenced his writing. But he tried to keep it out of AA. And that's a very that, Christian organization, right? But he felt that it made him not credible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And going, and 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 in terms of magic, there is something about magic that is. Similar in function to the scientific principle that we've discussed before, the idea that what you're looking for is what you'll find. So an experiment that looks for a particle finds a particle. An experiment that looks for a wave finds a wave, right? In that way, affecting your intention, (laughs) affecting your intention when you're effecting your intention is a self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean, that's the idea of, like, so much in the world. That's the idea of, like, manifesting, scientific prayer, prayer, like, all these things where it's, like, where you put the energy towards is what you get back out. Um, 
that's very much how magic works. So not to say that that automatically means that there were more negative encounters using the Ouija board, but if you seek a negative encounter with the Ouija board, you will find one. Yeah, I mean, I think that that is the case on multiple levels, i.e. if you take the scientific perspective that nothing is really happening and this is obviously developed as a game for children and a marketing ploy and it's working with your unconscious mind, Mm -hmm. then what you seek is what you get because your unconscious mind is driving the boat, so to speak. And if you take the religious perspective, Mm -hmm. I mean, not the religious perspective, it's not a monolith, but if you take a perspective of ghosts and demons are real and contact with the supernatural is possible using this board, if you believe that possession is something that you are inviting, um, Mm -hmm then that's something you're inviting. I mean, I think that a, you know, yeah. a practicing Catholic would tell me that even if you don't intend that, that's always possible. Of course. Um, but, but inviting it invites them. <laughs> right. But inviting it definitely invites them. <laughs> right. Like, right. I mean, we talked about car crashes earlier today. Like, trying to drive your car well, you can crash your car. Crashing your car, you're going to crash your car. Right. Actually, when I was learning to drive, uh, our driving instructor told us you always want to look where you're going. So if you're turning, you want to look around the curve. If you're going straight, you want to look directly at the point you want to go because your body will physically take you there, which on the metaphorical mm-hmm. level functions the same way as the Ouija board, weirdly. I, sh- I should say there have been a bunch of scientific tests conducted to disprove it. And like, if you're wearing blindfolds, the Ouija board barely works. <laughs> if you, right. you know, like right. if you're suggested, the Ouija right, board works like not- that. Like, Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So either because you're not able to subconsciously move to the correct letter because you can't see the letters or because you are not engaging in the required magical, the required steps of the magical practice of using the Ouija board. Well, yeah. And because you want to disprove it. I mean. Right. Um, Speaking of the ritual surrounding the Ouija board and how that sort of like grows and shrinks depending on who you are and where you are. Another notable user of the Ouija board, Alistair Crowley. Mm -hmm. Um, so he was a magician, um, as well as a multimedia artist, um, an explorer and an occultist, as they say. So he actually founded a whole religion. He looks like fat Nosferatu. Um, and he, (laughs) he does look him up. He looks like a conehead who got in a driving accident. You're not wrong for that. So he was a prophet, sort of. um, And he, I believe his goal was to, like, bring humans into the eye of Horus or something. I can't 100% remember. But I know that he engaged in something with the word Horus. He engaged in magical practices. He used the Ouija board. And not only that, but he wanted to develop his own Ouija board and license and sell it as part of his religion, but he never quite made it there. Um, But he was very much concerned with expanding the magical practices of the ritual of the Ouija board um, outside of just the use of the board. But he was very much concerned himself with... um, like other magical elements, so candles, other recitations, um, setting the scene, um, uh, 
what is it called when you wear things? Ritual dress, ritual garb. Mm. Um, um, and he definitely is he's not responsible for the what we think of as like an occult aesthetic now. I wouldn't say that, but he's highly influential in what probably comes to mind um for like an occult aesthetic. So yeah, while of course yeah. he was borrowing from oh sorry. No, 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 go, go, go. Okay. So of course he was borrowing from um spiritual practices all over the globe. Um he climbed one of the things he liked to do was like climb mountains in India and China and stuff. So this sort of like part of his style has this like orientalism to it. Um, but also um, you know, witchcraft um of the British Isles as well. Um, and sort of combined it into that sort of like new age fuck he wasn't in the new age age but like the sort of like contemporary homogenous aesthetic of the occult he was we should do actually an episode on him that would be really interesting so we don't need to get sure. into it too Sounds much because i'm i think that he is a fascinating figure but his parents were very serious fundamentalist christians um yes. and he rejected it and pursued what i think they call like esotericism, esoteric magics. Mm -hmm. So this was, and this is just me saying what you said, but an amalgamation of spiritual practices from around the British empire, as well as the British trade routes, since he was English, mm -hmm. sort of collecting and piecing together various aspects of those practices to create new religious order in like mm -hmm. contradistinction to and rejection of traditional like highly traditional christian belief and i think mm -hmm. as you say his sensibilities both both aesthetic and magical have maintained a strong grip on the culture at large yes. i mean yes fucking Before hot topic Ouija bras. <laughs> yeah yes, yes exactly totally totally exactly totally. And I think you can see yeah. that the sort of the he was really flamboyant, like almost glamorous in his mm -hmm. approach to yes. dress and costume and the occult and the spiritual and the ceremonial, um, which I think despite popular opinion was very Victorian, which, you know, was what he came out of. Mm -hmm. But um, I think that that his legacy has been subsumed by consumer culture and a lot of the like kind of pop occultism that you see, especially in relation to the Ouija board does come from some of his influence. And like, I mean, you mm -hmm. can get, you can get Ouija notebooks, <laughs> you can get Ouija hair mm -hmm. clips, you can get planchette mm -hmm. earrings. Like it is all available mm -hmm. to you for three ninety nine plus shipping and handling now. And I think that, uh, <laughs> truly, truly. Yeah, and we have Alistair Crowley to thank for that, no, and among others. Uh, other recommendations for things if you are interested in Ouija things. There's two really good – well, maybe not really good. There's two salient, one of which is really good, um, pieces of literature, uh, which is – there's a novel called Jap Heron, uh, which was – physically written down 
um, by a woman whose name I don't remember in 1917, but it was dictated by the spirit of Mark Twain through a Ouija board, um, according to the writer. And then better than that, because I cannot vouch whether or not that's good because I have not read it. Um, the one I actually want to talk about is The Changing Light at Sandover, which is an epic poem. It's three novels and over 500 pages. Um, it's by James Merrill. And two things about it that are very cool. First, it's written about his experiences with the Ouija board. And then second, it's also a poetic account of his relationship um, with his boyfriend, David. Um, and it's like a really beautiful epic poem about how their relationship grows and solidifies and is reflected in their magical practices. And I think, first of all, the fact that it's in the form of poetry is really delightful. It's good poetry. I'll read us some to close. And then second, I think understanding, I think it's a great vehicle to understand the relationship that the magical practice of using the Ouija board had with the formation of interpersonal relationships in America in the 20th century. And I think you should read it. I don't know if they have it at your library, but here is, so the first book is called The Book of Ephraim or Ephraim. I don't 100% remember, but that is the name of the spirit that they spoke to most often through the board. Okay. The cup twitched in its sleep. Is someone there? We whispered, fingers light on willow ware when the thing moved. Our breathing stopped. The cup, glazed zombie of itself, was on the prowl, moving but dully and coherently, possessed, as we should soon enough be told, by one or another of the myriads who hardly understand, through the compulsive reliving of their deaths, that they have died. By fire, in this case, when a warehouse burned. Help, oh save me, scrawled the cup, as on the very wall flame rippled up, hypnotic wave on wave, a lullaby of awfulness. 